Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Tuesday, November 16th. The Major League Baseball offseason is underway in earnest. We've got players signing. We've got front office people moving around. So, Brendan, things are are happening. Nothing quite yet on the exciting front uh, for the Cubs since the, the Wade Miley acquisition, but stuff is happening around the league. We're getting there. It feels good to be connected to you know, some of the rumors and being in the conversation for the first time in, what, like three or four years. So it's a nice change of pace, and I I don't know. I feel like cautiously optimistic, Corey, but that could just because that could be just because we're early in the season. Yeah, we've got a long way to go. There is, of course, still the looming CBA negotiations and a potential lockout, and all of that really fun stuff that us fans are are here for, right? You know, financial negotiations and things like that. That's why we really all love baseball. Of course, of course. Yeah, but uh, let's, we, we have uh, plenty to get to, despite the Cubs not really doing anything um, in terms of, of roster construction since we last spoke to y'all. Uh, we'll talk about some of the rumors that they're in. We'll talk about some of the other players that have already signed and, and made decisions decisions and uh, what that says about the market, what that says about things that may relate to the Cubs, etc. Uh, but first, the Cubs did do something in, in the week since we spoke, uh, and they have a new assistant pitching coach, and that is Daniel Moskos uh, from the Yankees organization. He has been all over. Uh, his resume is is quite impressive as a, as a player and as an instructor as well. He has worked at uh, Driveline. Uh, I think most of you probably familiar uh, but that is, of course, uh, where Kyle Body came from. He was with the Reds for a little while, and kind of the uh, leaders, I guess you would say, Brendan, and kind of that the, the new paradigm of where uh, pitching and pitching development is at was a minor league pitching coach in the Yankees organization. And this is, you know, sort of technically a new role for the Cubs. They did not have an assistant pitching coach. So this is something they're developing. Obviously, we know the Cubs coaching staff as a whole has had some turnover. Mike Borzello no longer here. He played a lot of roles. Not He was not 
you know, the assistant pitching coach, but I'm sure he had a voice in terms of what they were doing for pitching. So, um, you know, is this something to kind of replace that? Is this uh, another role? We'll have to see how the rest of this offseason goes. But uh, Brendan, this is another, you know, new voice coming to the Cubs organization, which I think you and I have talked about being big fans of, you know, just getting some new voices in there, especially with how frequently we've seen kind of, um, you know, guys from a similar learning tree, right? Uh, You know, in both the front office and on the coaching staff in past years. So I think good to see someone with a different background from different organizations and things like that. Um, And, you know, hopefully this is a continuation of the Cubs efforts to strive to get more at the forefront of the the pitching development and and pitching paradigms of the league whereas of course in years past they have felt and been at you know really the bottom of of that uh mm-hmm. you know really except for maybe the most recent years so i don't know if you have any mm-hmm. strong feelings on this but uh you know what was your kind of initial read on this i i like his entire history i like the fact that he's also younger not just because like i you know hate older coaches it's not that's not the case but he came up with driveline when driveline was kind of making a name for itself he got an opportunity with the yankees pretty young as well and had immediate success so to me the fact that he's so successful at this young age speaks volume to you know work ethic and innovation and with the yankees as uh, basically leading the double A pitching staff there, all league best for ERA. The the double A Yankees, I guess they're called the Patriots, had a three point three ERA, a one point one WHIP, best in double A, and he gets a lot of praise from guys who are respected around the league and including you know the founder of of Driveline. So I like it. It sounds as if his role is going to be more specialized towards developing, you know, pitches, whether that be pitch grips or being more hands-on in the lab. You know he's going to bring in different perspectives as well, which which I like. Tommy Hotby's done a great job. Kirk Breslau's done a great job. Casey Jacobson, all those guys have done a really phenomenal job bringing new pitches to the table. But now you add in one more guy to that mix, and that guy is at the major league level. Now, Tommy Hadovy can delineate some responsibilities, work on maybe some more general workflows and perspectives. I like it. It's a win. He kind of crosses all the check boxes. And for a Cubs major league team that's trying to get guys like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson and Braylon Marquez and Alvesalai and all these guys to the next step, add more guys who have had a recent success helping other guys in similar situations do that. Bringing in new voices, bringing in guys, you know, who have that experience with driveline and can kind of help guide you to where pitching is going, uh, you know, as a whole, I think is a exciting development. And and actually, I, I forgot to mention that the Cubs also have a new assistant hitting coach, and that is Johnny Washington, who had been with the San Diego Padres back when uh, now Cubs staff member Andy Green uh, was working for the Padres. He was their hitting coach in 2019, which was Andy Green's final year there. He took the pandemic season off and then was in South Korea in the KBO. So uh, the Cubs have uh, a new coaching staff, 
really. You know, we all know Tommy Hadovy, of course. We all know David Ross. But there is going to be a, a different look in that Cubs dugout when things get underway in, uh, I don't know if it's late April or, or late March or early April this time, but whenever things get underway, the Cubs coaching staff is is going to have a, a newer look, I think a younger look, and you know, you hope that that all is for the better. The Cubs have made a ton of coaching changes, you know, if we're just looking at things back since like 2015, right? Manager turnover, a million hitting coaches. Um, so, it's tough to say if, you know, this is kind of the the group that sticks out for a while, but I think similar to what they're doing with the front office, you kind of just have to look at what is the what is the thought process seem to be in in what they're looking for in in these hires? What are their backgrounds? What are their specialties? And I think what the Cubs are identifying to me as as someone just sitting here looks pointed. It looks like there there's a deliberate approach going on here. And I think hopefully it is, uh, you know, to the benefit of the baseball team, right? For years, the Cubs were behind. We were hiring guys like Jim Hickey, Chili Davis, guys who have spent decades at the professional level, the major league level. And you get entrenched in what has worked during those eras. This, of course, is a different era. It's being pioneered by new techs, being pioneered by analysts and younger coaches. And it's it's a different sport. So, of course, you want to be at the forefront of that. And from 2017 up until even probably last year or just right at the end of the COVID season, Cubs didn't really have much going for them in that department. You were hearing around the minor leagues, the Cubs are behind, the Cubs are behind. And you saw Tampa Bay and Houston and the Twins and these guys come out of nowhere, essentially. Now, maybe the Cubs can be that team, right? So there is an emphasis there. Jet has identified that in not only with these coaches, but bringing in Carter Hawkins. It's exciting. For for once, we're talking about fresh faces, younger faces who have uh, more of an unorthodox upbringing into their positions. Yeah, I mean, I think like they're trying to get to the forefront of things, right? And it and you kind of alluded to this in terms of like not bringing in older guys. It, it's not necessarily an age thing. And, there, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with relying on guys that have a reputation and that have been around the game for a long time. But, you know, sometimes the game changes, right? And even though guys have had a lot of success doing things a certain way, sometimes that runs out, right? And it it seems that the Cubs are intent on hiring guys who can lead them to where the game is going, right? And it, it may not work, but I like the logic of that approach. And and specifically, Tommy Hadovy was talking about uh, the, the pitching staff and, and the pitching infrastructure and, and things like that. And he said, a goal for the staff in 2022 is to have each coach, quote, own and dominate an area for helping players. And mm-hmm. the area that they believe Moscos can help with is pitch design, something that, you know, obviously he has experience with uh, in the Yankees org and, of course, working at Driveline. That's a a big part of what they do. And I'm assuming, Brendan, like, I like hearing that. I think, you know, again, it just speaks to Hadavi and Jed and everybody in the organization, you know, and Carter Hawkins, of course, he's a big pitching guy, you know, having a, a vision for what they want 
the staff and the organization to be doing, producing, and, and how they want them going about it. But I'm I'm assuming, like, when I read that quote, and it's talking about pitch design and each coach on the staff having their own specialty, I, I read it immediately, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to listen to Brendan gush about this for the next several years, uh, just this specific quote. At minimum. At minimum, that's where the sport's going, though. Yeah, I, I immediately think of Caleb Killian when I hear about. Well, and so design. Brennan, to, to interrupt you, um, can you? I, I don't know if everybody knows exactly what that means. Can you elaborate? What does pitch design mean in in like the current game of baseball? What What are they talking about here? It's. I mean, it's a, it's a multifaceted question, right? Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the trenches with the pitch design, but talking to coaches and knowing what I what I do know, it's really trying to optimize a combination of factors that includes biokinetic chain, that includes pitch grips, release point, um, tunneling is kind of in its primitive stages as far as I can tell, but it seems to be that pitch grip wrist angle biokinetic chain those are prominent features in designing and getting the most out of your pitches so what i do know is some other teams in the american league they really stress this like biokinetic chain as well as wrist angle um as part of their as part of their pitch design i don't know what the cubs are doing we do know within the past couple of years, they've stressed sinkers uh, in on the hands to righties, and they've stressed spike curveball grips. You can think of uh, Rowan Wick as, as a prime example and Brad Week as well. So that's just them going into their quote-unquote lab, or if you want to call it that, but it's probably just like all over the place now, looking at the super, super slow motion videos, getting an idea of what the ball is looking like out of their hand, spin, using some of the sensors, looking at um, uh, spin rate, looking at release point, looking at all of that, and trying to get the most out of your pitches, and maybe, yeah, adding in a new pitch that actually might complement one of your ongoing pitches, trying to add, for example, a complementary pitch to your cutter, or a complementary pitch to maybe Kyle Hendricks changeups, like like stuff like that, which makes me think of recently acquired pitcher Caleb Killian. So Killian was acquired from the Chris Bryant trade, and he's been throughout his time in the minors a dominant fastball guy. He throws a fastball type, whether it be a cutter, four seam, two seam, about eighty percent of the time. Um, so I've been told. And he averages around, at least recently in the Arizona Fall League, 94 to 96 in the four seam and 91 to 93 in the cutter. He can max out at 98, which is awesome. But recently for Killian, he's been trying to work in a curveball. And this is coming from Greg Zumak of at Ivy Futures on Twitter. And it appears that he's also working on a circle changeup, which has pretty good tailing action as it finishes. Killian in the Arizona Fall League has been striking out so many batters, Corey, after his first outing, which was uh, an atrocious outing. He gave up seven runs without even getting an out. Since then, he's had 14 innings. He struck out 18 guys, only has given up one run, and he's working in more curveballs. That's new. That would be a new pitch. Now, can they go into the lab, tying this back together, and, and, and design a curveball that complements his cutter? He's a really 
heavy cutter guy. I don't know. Maybe that's something they try to do. Likewise, maybe they try to improve that circle changeup, right? And for Killian, what attracts me the most about his repertoire is that he doesn't walk anyone. His, his walk numbers are absolutely insane. Walk per nine is around one, literally one in double A. So he's going to be up next year. Like there's no doubt in my mind, Killian will be up next year. Now he ha already has this natural feel for the strike zone. He already throws fast, which is awesome. And he has confidence with his fastball. So the, the foundation is there. And that's why when we see hires like this of, of Moscow's and bringing in guys to take someone like a Killian to the next level, you have to be excited because immediately this could be a contributor for next year, Corey. And you're already having success even without some of these current hires in competition in the Arizona Fall League that has some of the top prospects that are close to major league ready. This this is exciting. I think the process is good here for the Cubs, uh, or at least it seems that way. So want to, let's just stay on pitching, I suppose, and take a look at some of the things that have happened around Major League Baseball so far in terms of free agents and, and movement there. I think the big deal so far, just looking at things, is Eduardo Rodriguez going to the Tigers. Um, five years, $77 million, so that is about $15.4 million per year did include an opt-out clause, I believe, after two years in that contract. Um, you know, so the Tigers have been kind of progressing their way to getting more competitive. So this kind of feels like an offseason where they may go for it. They've been connected to guys like Carlos Correa, etc. So not surprised on the team or the move here. Um, and then we saw Noah Syndergaard go to the Angels on a one-year $21 million deal. So he does get a little more than the qualifying offer that he declined. Eduardo Rodriguez also received the qualifying offer and declined. So you remember in the last episode, we talked about kind of the penalties in terms of draft picks, loss of international free agent money that the Cubs would incur if they signed uh, someone who had declined a qualifying offer. So uh, those are the big ones. We also saw, I think I mentioned last week, Andrew Heaney go to the Dodgers, $8.5 million for just one year. Adam Wainwright re-upped with St. Louis for $17.5 per year. Um, Charlie Morton re-upping in Atlanta. Uh, that is kind of the significant ones, at least as I'm looking at this list. It's not a long list of guys that have signed so far, but... Um, Brennan, the two two different deals, right, in terms of looking at Eduardo Rodriguez and Noah Syndergaard, I think perhaps Syndergaard's is more relevant to the Cubs. He did have the qualifying offer, but I think in terms of it being, you know, the Angels are trying to win with two of the best players in the league, right, uh, which they have failed to do. And they took a one-year flyer on a guy coming off an injury, uh, but when he's good and healthy, can be one of the best in the game. So he had the qualifying offer attached, which for a lot of people kind of ruled the Cubs out. Uh, but when you look at the terms here for both Syndergaard, Rodriguez, what do you think this says for the pitching market? What do you think it says for what the Cubs might do. And, and I guess, you know, you usually have a list of guys that you're really in on uh, for the Cubs. I, th I think in, in last week's episode, um, Stephen Matz was, was one of the guys you're really interested in. 
do, do, do any of these prices, moves, years, things like that kind of move the needle for you anywhere? Like put it all into Cubs perspective for us. The Eduardo Rodriguez deal for five years, $77 million, is, is a, I think, a great deal for uh, the, the Tigers. And Rodriguez last year, ERA not the best, 4.7 ERA in 157 innings, but he did have a FIP of 3.3, and he threw, you know, 31 starts. He was consistent, and he has a track record of being consistent with getting innings. So $77 million, when you look at it, especially at his age being 28, it's, it's not that much. And now that I think about it, I, I wonder if he would have gotten more as the market develops. Then you look at Syndergaard, got over $20 million for that one-year deal, more than, more than the QO, as you said. Um, that seems about right. I'm actually glad the Cubs were not in on that just because of the, you know, draft pick compensation and, and all of the ramifications that go with losing um, and signing someone with that with that QO attached. Then you look at what uh, Barrio's got from Toronto, an extension there, seven years, a hundred, a little over $130 million. That is a long, long contract. And for the type of performance that Barrios provides, the consistency, you know, mid-fips around, uh, or fips around mid-three, trending towards the upper threes, consistently starting, that's the range that I'm kind of thinking about right now. And for Barrios, he may have taken a little bit of a cut ahead of uh, one year um, being a free agent after the 2022 season. So you do have to take that into account. But for Rodriguez, $77 million, I'm thinking that Mats, I'm thinking that Strowman, the early uh, offseason projections for them are not going to be that far off. So Strowman is around $120 million uh, for his asking price projection. For Mats, we don't really know. He does not have that qualifying offer attached. So I could see Mats getting around like, you know, $80 million or so, given what Rodriguez got. Maybe $90 million, but he does have age kind of working against him. If that's the case, the Cubs are in, in, in a really, really good spot right now. And they have the money to do it. We know they're working on trying to get deeper pitching. They, there's no reason they should go into 2022 without a solidified five-man rotation, given what deals are being signed, given the urgency that appears to be taking place around the league for all these uh, agents ahead of the the lockout. The Cubs are in a good spot, man. They can absolutely sign one of these guys for a good, reasonable deal. I don't see anyone going above, you know, 150 million uh, in in the Cubs tier of like the the masses and the John Grays and and the Stroman. Maybe Stroman, but I don't know. I think that's on the upper end of the projection, and the Cubs are in good shape here. Yeah. So I think we knew at least to figure that the Cubs were not going to play in the qualifying offer pool for pitchers. Um, you know, especially someone like Syndergaard, it, 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 you, you can certainly make the argument that the Cubs could forego those penalties if you're pursuing someone like Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, um, to help you on the offensive side. Pitching, a lot more volatility, and especially when you're looking at someone like Syndergaard, uh, you know, that's a lot to give up in terms of the draft picks and the international free agency money for 
a year of, you know, a situation where you would basically be hoping that he returns to form and is healthy, right? And if he does, it's a great gamble by the Angels, right? Uh, but for the Cubs, I, it's it's not really the, the position to be in. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, not surprising that the Cubs were not in on that. Um, but I do think guys who are without that qualifying offer in terms of pitchers, um, and one year deals, you know, that is certainly the type of thing that the Cubs should be looking at. Obviously depends on who we're talking about and things like that. I, you know, the usual caveat of, I don't know what Jed Hoyer's budget is here, so we'll see. Um, but the Cubs are not going to be in a position in 2022 where, you know, this is their their this is their time, right? They're going for it. All the chips are in, and it has to work out, right? They can afford to take some risks, take some flyers on guys for a year if they're coming back from injury or you know trying to reclaim their their prior status, whatever it is. They can afford to take those risks. If they don't work out, they don't work out. You're on a year long commitment, and big deal, right? You're not really going for it in 2022 anyway. If they do work and they help you be competitive for a year. They don't add anything to your long-term payroll, and maybe 2022 is an interesting year that things come together and the Cubs are able to win. So I, th- this is what we have so far in terms of the market, so it, it doesn't necessarily tell us too much, but I, I do think it's interesting to see some of these guys kind of trying to get it done early, like before this this CBA situation happens, if there's a lockout or whatever, you know, you you do wonder if we see some players just try to get this handled as as quickly as possible, um, you know, sort of set a market yeah. and be done with it. The so In my mind, it's, it's balancing future beyond 2022 and the present. So for Cindergaard, maybe it would have made sense, right? But I look at the market, and I like Mets, and I like Stroman, and I like those guys because their value extends beyond next season. And with Kyle Hendricks, his contract will be up before you know it. Still has a few more years left, but still, it'll be up before you know it. Having some type of bridge towards the future once these younger prospects do come up, having the stability would be huge. So if Cindergaard were on the market without Stroman, uh, without Matt, without Gray, then maybe I would have been more into it. But just because we have an opportunity here to solidify the rotation to some degree, not totally, but to some degree for years beyond next season is is big for me. Then again, I do think about, okay, what does that mean for Killian? What does that mean for Steele, does Keegan Thompson not get more chances because they're signing these stable guys? That's to be determined, and we don't even know if they're going to sign these guys, so I might be jumping ahead of myself here. But in principle, I, I want to go for stability, and because that's feasible on this market, you kind of have to, in my mind, ignore Syndergaard for now. If there were no qualifying offer attached, maybe the conversation does change. But even if there weren't, I, I still might have preferred going with the Strowman route and the Matt's route and, and the Gray route. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, again, the the Jed Hoyer has said, you know, even after the addition of Wade Miley, 
that there's obviously still a lot of work to be there, uh, to be done in, in terms of the rotation. And, you know, really he talked uh, about how that signing sort of just a lot, you know, it, it was an opportunity that presented itself and now it's sort of checks one box and allows them to quickly move on to everything else and, uh, you know, sort of just taking that opportunity. So there's certainly more work to be done, and uh, we will see where Jed Hoyer decides to do that. Uh, But in keeping with uh, some of the rumors, uh, which is really what we have, like I said, the, the big news of the week was the Cubs hiring an assistant pitching coach. So we do not have anything concrete here to break down for you. Watch them sign someone tomorrow. Yeah, well, you guys know. If something significant happens, we'll be back. And we do have a habit of talking about things and then it being out of date very quickly. So um, look, Brendan, if we talk about Corey Seager in a second here and we have to come on tomorrow night because the Cubs signed Corey Seager, sign me up, all right? I'll clear my schedule. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I have no problem problem doing that. But I I do want to talk about Corey Seager, uh, not because he is my preferred free agent target for the Cubs, which he is. Is that because we share the same name? Uh, up to you. You guys can decide whatever you want. Um, but I, 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 I do want to talk about him in particular because we've heard that the Cubs at least scouted the big shortstop market, which I think includes primarily Correa, Corey Seager, uh, Javier Baez. Are you, do you know Javier Baez, Brendan? You may have heard, heard of him, of him before. Corey. Um, yeah, a little, he's a, little... a World Series champion, actually. Oh, with who? At the, not the Mets. Uh, let me clear that up oh, if you're okay. if you're confused. Okay. Uh, definitely the Chicago Cubs, and Ooh, uh, Trevor Story. Okay. I think being the other, you know, kind of in that big group uh, of shortstops here. Um, we've heard that the Cubs have at least kicked the tires on on checking in on the big shortstop group. Does that mean that they're going to go for it? Not necessarily. Um, but when you consider Javi's departure and then you kind of read between the lines on what Jed Hoyer said about Nico Horner at times, right? And we, we talked about Nico a ton, you and I, Brendan, uh, in terms of, you know, wanting to be more sure of what you had there and you really weren't able to get there because of the injuries in 2021 and not really getting to see him out there every day. And then you kind of look at some of the stuff that Jed Jed Hoyer has said, and I think going back to um, some of the quotes in September, he talked about how he envisioned Nick Madrigal being the second baseman and Horner's versatility giving them sort of different options. And a a direct quote from Jed Hoyer back at the time in September, the end of September, was on Nico, quote, he's going to be a significant piece of our team next year and going forward. Exactly what position I think is sort of undecided, but that's the beauty of it. As we go into this offseason, he allows us to make different decisions. It doesn't force us one way or or the other. So we know they value versatility. We know Nico has played different positions. He's practiced at different positions. He's clearly willing to do what he needs to to get in the lineup and make things work. But I, I also in hearing Jed talk, and the reason I bring this up is is we it doesn't sound like he's your shortstop, right? That's really what I'm getting at. Maybe he'll play there. Maybe he'll play there sometimes. I don't know. But Jed does not say he's our shortstop. Our middle infield is going to be Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal for 150 out of 162 games, 
right? That is not something that we've heard from him. So maybe that's where it ends up, but it doesn't seem like that is the exactly the plan. And I think when he talks about opening things up, mm-hmm. I would assume he means if we look into the shortstop market or there becomes a shortstop available, we're not going to steer clear of that move because of Nico Horner. So that brings all of my rambling to Corey Seager. Now, we have not gotten a like you know, sourced beat report, like the Cubs are offering Corey Seager a contract. But some uh, bigger national writers and, and writers from various sites, Mark Feinsand, R.J. Anderson, Bruce Levine mentioned it when he went on Marquee Network, they have mentioned the, the possibility and the interest in Corey Seager. So relating it back to the discussion we were just having, you know, with Syndergaard and the qualifying offers, I think we know the answer here, Brendan, but is it worth it for the Cubs to look at that market with where they are at shortstop as an organization, you know, being kind of the backdrop here and paying those penalties for going after someone who has that qualifying offer to fill that shortstop gap? When you talk about Jet's quotes regarding Nico, it seems like a foregone conclusion they're going to make a deal for a shortstop. Doesn't mean they're going to go fishing in the Corey Seager, Carlos Correa market per se, but just hearing that, again, just makes me believe like a move is going to get done. Now, does Corey Seager make sense for the Cubs? Uh, he makes sense for probably every team, if the price is right. Seager is one of the best bats in the league, and he has that rare combination of not striking out that much, but also hitting for you know mild power. Almost like that Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo-esque profile, in the middle of the infield, that that that's impressive. The question that I have and that is shared among a lot of people is: Can he stay at shortstop for any an, an elongated period of time? He is 27. He is a larger shortstop. He's not your typical shortstop standard. You know the hobby bias size and the Nico Horner size. And the outs above average score that he got last year suggests he's not the greatest defensive shortstop. He was in the bottom 10th percentile last year, and he does have a history of injuries. So this all begs the question, if he's asking for $200 plus million, which he absolutely is, and the Cubs do have to forego a draft pick and face those potential penalties if they continue to sign other guys who have qualifying offers attached, is it worth it? And I... <laughs> Thank God I'm not making this decision, but I I personally would love to have Corey Seager. I think it's almost a, a, a no-brainer. Having someone with Seager's hitting profile ages the best. When you're 27 years old and you're only striking out at a 15% clip and scratching you know, 25, 30 homers in a healthy season, that is a rare type of player. That's why Rizzo even... Right now, in his age 32, he still had above-average offense, right? And again, for the infield, middle infield, that is valuable for Seager. But I can see the Cubs opting for someone else. They want to take more of a safe route. They do have tons of infield talent coming up through the system. Christian Hernandez, Ed Howard, um, I mean, really half a dozen shortstops right now that could be viable options in the next two years. 
Does that have implications for their future if the Cubs do sign Seager? I don't think so. I think Seager is more so destined for a corner infield spot to begin with. So I don't think that precludes them from doing that, which might make that type of deal even more attractive, Corey. But regardless, if it's Seager, if it's Story, if Javi does come back, I I think we're going to get a shortstop, and they may they may go elsewhere. There's one option that that does kind of intrigue me, not to distract here too much, but the Arizona Diamondbacks are the worst team right now in the league. They do have Nick Ahmed signed for an eight million AAV for the next couple of years, and they may want to dish him out and save money and maybe get back like a like a mid lower tier prospect. Nick Ahmed is the best defensive shortstop in baseball. His outs above average is literally quite literally 100. He's the best. So they may go that route and you can still give Nico chances against certain matchups and promote his development while also getting a pretty high floor with the best defensive shortstop in the league. So I can see them going multiple directions, but at the end of the day, I I, I do see them acquiring someone at least. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the lack of an immediate answer at shortstop and you've got some very talented shortstop prospects but they're all very young right um you know christian hernandez preciado like those guys are not close um so you can't really you know ed howard uh, you know there there's a lot in the organization but they're not close and so you can't really plan around that i think when you take that sort of glaring hole um, and you look at where a lot of these premier free agents are and like you said potential trade targets as as we've mentioned a lot that's something that Jed Hoyer's alluded to sort of hinted at maybe foreshadowed if you will uh, when acquiring a lot of these younger prospects and making these trades I, I do think we see something there and I think you know the lack of kind of that commitment to like, oh no, like Nico's our shortstop. There's no question about that. I think also kind of adds fuel to that fire. The rumors at least suggesting that people are hearing the Cubs are checking this market out, seeing what's going on. I think we see something. To me, if you're talking about Seager, Correa, I think it is worth it to pay the the, the penalties that you will for, for the qualifying offer. Um, being declined and, and you, you know have, going do you have a preference of those it's two guys? Seager I love Corey Seager I think he's great um I've said this to you I don't know if I've said it on here but I've said it to people a million times like I think he would wear out that left center basket um he hit so many of those line drives to left center he Dodger Stadium also a good uh field for those types of home runs and I I just think he's I think he'd be a great hitter for this lineup. And I think if the money is equal, if the money is equal, you still go Seager over Korea. I I like Corey. I don't know. I, I like Corey Seager. That's just where I just sort of have assumed Korea's going to Detroit or the Yankees or something like that. I so uh, he's gonna get at least Yeah, my my head is just on yeah. Seager. I, I think it just makes sense. Um I, you know, I've seen some people throwing around I, the the brothers Seager would be not a bad way to spend your off season if you're the Cubs. It seems kind of fun though, too, right? Having both those guys there. I, you know, yeah, and probably production wise better than the Romine brothers. Um, you know, no offense to hey, Andrew and Austin, know. who were fun players, but uh, you know, production wise, I think the Seagers probably have them beat by a, a pretty considerable margin if we're doing the whole family affair thing. Um, 
but you know and and Seager moving off of shortstop eventually like yeah fine like versatility is cool like if he needs to move to third or you know wherever like yeah okay like we'll deal with that another time like I don't I don't really care about that we got to bridge the gap now um and I think when you're looking at at those two guys in particular they're not going to mess up your competitive window right even if 2022 isn't the all-in year like Corey Seager's 27 years old right now like if you're ready in 2023 and that's a team that's led by Brendan Davis and and guys like that or you know you're moving toward that at least in in 2023 or late 2022 whenever it is like Seager's still going to be under 30 years old and I would imagine very productive so I, I don't think you're mortgaging the future um, for that type of thing and we're not talking about necessarily doing five huge deals like we're maybe talking about one in this offseason for the Cubs to sort of go in with the mix of likely a bunch of one or two year low risk deals right so I think you can afford to make that one splash because it sets you up in a better position um you know for the future as you go forward there because I, I don't I don't think either of those guys um in Seager and Correa are going to be the type where in, like I said, in 2023 or 2024, you're feeling bogged down by that contract, right? Like the Cubs have so much payroll flexibility. Um, you, You don't have to push it all in now, but there's good guys available at a position that you need to fill. And you don't always have the ability to put stuff like that off, right? Like the stars are available at the position when they're available. And sometimes you kind of need to think of the you need to think years out right not just for 2022 and I I think it was uh, Michael Cerami who's been on this show several times over at Bleacher Nation who wrote an article you know kind of just looking at whether the Cubs could afford to only go for that short-term you know low-risk type contract right and the argument that he sort of put forth in in paraphrasing was that it's fine if you identify who you want and you sign a bunch of guys on one or two year deals if the season goes well great if it doesn't and you flip some guys also cool because you've executed this strategy but you run the risk like what if you don't get those guys right like you can have a great plan for, yeah, we want to sign these guys for a year or two and and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to sort of push all our chips in and then we'll clear things out and do this again when Brennan Davis is up and Braylon Marquez is being utilized as a pitching weapon and, and stuff like that. But what if you don't get those guys, right? Then you just sort of miss out. 2022 has very little prospect of being competitive and it's sort of just, a, you're just sort of spinning your wheels. So it's not to say that signing Correa or Seeger is completely necessary. There's a lot of different ways to address this, but it, it goes back to the point that I was making where sometimes these guys are available, and even if you're not going for it completely now, you have to look at, well, is this going to be available in the next offseason? Are we going to be able to fill this hole when we are ready to really push all our chips in? And sometimes the answer is no. So they're available mm-hmm. now. You've got the payroll flexibility. All of that is to say, Brendan, like, give me Corey Seager. Like, just do it, Jed. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, sign me up for that. Right now, the Cubs have $98 million projected by MLB Cots for next year. 98. That's including arbitrations, including all the taxes. It's including Wade Miley. 98. So if they want to inch towards what 
they've been at for the last few years, they they can still go out and get pitching and a Corey Seager. So even last season, they had a hundred and seventy-three million dollar payroll, Corey. So they have in that case, if they even match last year when they were rebuilding, well, not rebuilding, but when they you know gave away everyone at the end of the year, hundred and seventy. Three and maybe 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 a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, but in that range, right? So, if you're thinking, okay, right now we're at 98, you have 70 million of wiggle room. Seeger might cost you 30, Stroman might cost you 20, Matt might cost you like 15 or so, maybe 20 as well. All this is to say is there's a path forward getting some of these big guys, but we never heard the Cubs connected to bigger names like Seager. There's two legitimate reports connecting the Cubs to Seager while also hinting, the, the I mean, the president of baseball ops hinting they're still going to be active in the pitching market. Now, are they mutually exclusive? I don't know. I think my preference right now is to, if I, if I had to pick one direction, would be to spend that money on the pitching side and going for a cheaper option, a shortstop. But maybe we get lucky. Maybe this is our time where we get, you know, a couple big splashes and we do end up surprising ourselves into competitiveness for, for 2022. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think the example you brought up with Ahmed and, you know, there there's certainly other uh, avenues to explore in terms of a trade. You know, that we were kind of talking about last week, like where it's the Cubs time to take advantage of some stupid front office with some team that stinks, right? And that sounds perfect, right? Like, go do that, Jed, like whatever. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to see, uh, I want to see this plan come to life for Jed and, and Carter Hawkins. Cause I, I, as we've said before, like, I do think that there is a path to competitiveness without sacrificing the future and, and, and things like that for 2022. Um, well, there is, there is, I mean, the, the way, if, if you slot in, Maybe I, maybe we can do this. If you slot in just like two pitchers to that rotation, and given the offensive projections, they should be within like a standard deviation of the of of a playoff spot next year. And if that's the case, you're obligated to add to this team. You you just are. You can fall into a potential playoff run. We've seen it now twice in the past two real seasons, longer seasons. With Washington and Atlanta, where they're below 500 around the All Star break, after the All Star break, and they end up going the the complete distance, you're obligated to at least chase that. While also being you know, mindful of the future, but who's to say you can't do both? And that's been the argument now for my life as a fan for well over a decade. Whether a rebuild is even worth it, and for the Cubs situation about 10, 12 years ago. Of course it was, but they almost had no choice because the infrastructure wasn't there. The infrastructure is there now. There's a legit path forward where they can where they can do both. But the, the question I wanted to ask you, Corey, is given where they're at pitching-wise and shortstop-wise, and let's say we do have a little bit of a restriction spending, would you prefer them to, to solidify their pitching or to get a staple there at shortstop? Like what would you, what would you pick if you had to pick one? Shortstop. Shortstop? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think right now like, I'm, I'm pitching, so we... we I, you know, I think there. sort of, I, I, you know, and I don't know if, like, I'm conditioned just sort of by Theo or whatever, but I, you know, I just tend to think pitching is a lot more volatile and harder to 
rely on and project out years from now. So um, that's mm. just sort of where I would defer to, I guess. You are, yeah, you're brainwashed by Theo. I see yeah. how it is. I mean, it's fair. It's fair. The only thing was like with with Seeger, I, I I love his bat. Like I actually think his bat, from a projectability standpoint, probably ages better than Correa. The only thing I have is the injuries and the, and the defensive uh, competency as as he starts to to age, and that might be okay. But um, that's the one thing kind of holding me back. Where I'm like, huh, maybe I just rather spend on Strowman just because he seems uh, less with less flaws so to speak if that makes sense but listen if Seager is signed by this team like I'll probably change my mind pretty fast well and I mean here's an idea call me radical Brendan but why not get both yeah (laughs) yeah I mean Seager Stroman go sign some guys on one-year deals call it a day Jed you did what you got to do right you know they could do that though. Like, they have the, they have just, the budget I, to do. They have know, the money to do it, even if they're working on a tighter budget than we want them to be working on. I mean, it would have cost them fifty million dollars to get both. It puts them at a hundred and forty million for next year. That's it. And they still have room to go, to, to yeah. spend. So, I mean, yeah, sign me up. Yeah. So uh, the one other thing that we wanted to uh, draw your attention to is the uh, NPB posting of Seiya Suzuki, an outfielder. Uh, You may hear the Cubs connected to it. Uh, You know, if you're checking in on Cubs blogs and things like that, I'm sure you've seen Suzuki's name thrown about, uh, but he is an outfielder. Uh, who is going to be posted soon. Uh, I believe that process is, is going to get going. I think that was all approved, so it is going to happen. Um, and just reading a, a brief scouting report from Baseball America, just to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about here, uh, he is a right-handed hitter uh, with high extra base hit totals and a strong walk-to-strikeout ratio. He is a five-time NPB All-Star who won the Central League batting title in 2019 and boasts a career slash line of a 308 batting average, a 399 on base percentage, and a 5 34 slugging percentage. Scouts see Suzuki as a potential average hitter once he adjusts to MLB velocity with above average game power and raw power that grades as a 70 on the 2080 scouting scale. Uh, He is, I believe, the scouting report goes on to say, uh, good range in right field and an above average arm. So they also go on to talk about his swing as being, uh, you know, better fitting for Major League Baseball, more of kind of like that uppercut, go for power and damage type swing. Uh, the scouting report, you know, is is quoted as saying, you know, as opposed to that middle of the field or inside out approach uh, favored by many Japanese hitters. So that's just a brief kind of scouting report. Basically, an outfielder, a lot of power, uh, and maybe a a more MLB-geared game rather than an NPB-geared game. So the reason that I think the Cubs are going to be connected, obviously, you know, some of these reports and scouts are very high on him. One in, uh, you know, one major league scout said he's the best, he's been the best player in Japan in the last few years, reminded them of AJ Pollock when he was an all-star with the Diamondbacks. So some very like high praise for Suzuki. And uh, I think one point that was made in in some of the reading that I was doing um, from, I think it was from Bleacher Nation, but I, I can't remember where it was quoted from. Uh, was just talking about how the Cubs are in a good place to 
take on this type of situation because even if there is an adjustment period with him coming over to the U.S. and and playing Major League Baseball, different league, making all those adjustments, it's sort of that same calculated risk as the rest of this stuff we're talking about in terms of 2022. Like, if he has an adjustment period, so what? right? Like you're already going to be kind of taking some risks and not really sure and needing some things to work out, uh, to go your way in 2022, to be as successful as you want to be. So this would just sort of be another one of those. You can take the time to let him properly adjust and to let MLB pitchers sort of get the book on him and, and make their adjustments and adjust back, et cetera. And, you know, you're, you, again, you know, to keep using that phrase, you're not pushing all your chips in. So if it doesn't work, okay, fine. Like, as you know, as long as he were in the spot you wanted by 2023, et cetera, like, that's fine. But the Cubs do need some outfield help. Um they do need guys that can hit for power and, and have that raw power that, you know, can kind of uh, put the ball on Waveland, if you will. So I, I think this checks a lot of boxes. And, you know, depending on what the posting fee is, what he's looking for contract-wise, things like that, I, I think this is definitely a situation where you'd want the Cubs to be checking in on this for sure. I don't know if this is valid or not. It is interesting. There's a way to track plate discipline um, and according to this, his outside the zone swing rate or his chase rate was under 20% last year. And that would put him in the top 90th percentile of major league baseball. So you combine that with the power, the ability to not strike out that much seems pretty projectable. He did play right field. So I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean for Hayward? And I know you're probably rolling your eyes, but he is on the team, at least for now. And does that mean Hayward immediately goes down to a bench spot, or do they put Suzuki into left field? And do you want to overwhelm Suzuki in uh, an unfamiliar position in a brand new league? He's 27 years old. He's a young guy. I don't know what that 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 means for for the Cubs and, and Hayward, but if they're seriously looking at him, and they do sign him, and he wants to play right field, and that's comfortable, and that's his best position, Hayward better not play, dude. Um, love the guy, but we got to be we got to be realistic here. Uh, as far as money goes, no idea what he's going to be asking for, but you have to think it's not going to be outrageous. And I like that analogy. It kind of fits. He kind of personifies the Cubs' current transition point, where maybe he does need a year to acclimate to major league pitching, and and adjust, but so do the Cubs, their entire organization. So they may start to click right when Suzuki starts to click towards uh, the the latter half of next season or the beginning of 2023. Yeah. So just wanted to put that on your radar. Again, you know, similar to, I think, Seeger in a way, like the Cubs have kind of been suggested as one of the teams that are interested. Maybe they're checking in on the situation, but we're really lacking, you know, really concrete, like, you know, smoke where there might be fire type stuff with any of this, but wanted to put that on your radar. You know, again, especially when you're talking about some of the guys, um, you know, Nick Castellanos is a, a good example. You know, he does have that qualifying offer attached. And in addition to 
maybe looking at trades. You know, Jed Hoyer's talked about being opportunistic, creative, etc. You know, going after a guy that is highly touted from the NPB and taking that risk, I, I suppose, if you want to phrase it that way, of, of you know, uh, whether he can make those adjustments and have that same success against major league pitching there that could be one way for them to go about this it's like I said at the very least a situation that you'd like them to be checking in on um just someone who you know Suzuki has a lot of rave reviews from the MLB scouts that have seen him and it's the Cubs are in a position to check that out so uh wanted to put that on your radar uh, and I think that's about where we're at in Major League Baseball and, and things that are, uh, as the podcast implies, Cubs-related. So as always, we will jump on if anything happens with the way things are going and you know the looming uh, CBA deadline and all that other stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if we get back on here because something has happened, uh, but if not, we will talk to you guys next week, uh, and maybe we'll talk to you sooner. I don't know. Talk to Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins. They can be found at the offices around uh, yeah, and around Wrigley Field, so uh, you can ask them. Um, but I think that's what we have for you. So as always, thank you for listening to the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs. <laughs>